ready, buddy? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a, a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good job, dude. That was so good. I love seeing these kids reading. We got another kid coming up next, next service. Well, I'm not Josh. Uh, my name is Anthony. I am one of the uh, co-RC uh, leaders of Redemption Communities, which is our small group ministry. I lead alongside this handsome fellow right in front of me, Andrew. And uh, Josh is betraying us by preaching at another church today. Can't believe that. But he has graciously invited me to come and open God's word and preach today, which I'm, I'm so glad to do. But if I say anything crazy or heretical, I will be more than glad to give you Josh's personal cell phone number. And you're more than welcome to send him all the complaints and all your frustrations. No, I'm kidding. So if you have a moment, make sure you pray for Josh as he opens God, God's word in a new place. The same way, even pastors can go to a new place and feel nervous and, and concerned, even someone like our pastor Josh. So make sure you're praying for him. Well, here we are, first Sunday of December 2022. Um, we're in our second week of our Advent series and uh, I am very humbled and grateful that I get to open up God's word. As he read uh, a second ago, our foundational text is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4, 14. But that's just the foundation. The text we're actually going to be in, uh, most of my sermon is going to be based out of, is going to be Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. So if you're taking notes, you can go, go ahead and hold that. Last week, Josh opened up by giving us an image all the way back to Genesis of a God who is so powerful that he spoke creation into existence using a voice with no vocal cords, making stuff out of nothing, just calling into existence light itself. Light be, and it was. Stars, earth, all the planets, he just spoke them by his power and creativity. But when it came to us, God plunged his hands into the dirt and formed us using what he had created with his words. Now, God not having any hands or, or any vocal cords, who knows what that really looked like, but the word gives us this distinction that Josh made clear to us last week, that when God first engages humanity, he gets messy. The very first interaction with us requires his hands to get dirty and for him to give up some of his breath or pneuma so that we can have life. If that isn't an image of Jesus, I don't know what is, because Jesus came and his hands were pierced for our sake, and he had to give up his breath so that we could have life. I guess to summarize, it just means that God is not afraid of our messiness. He cares for us. He's willing to draw close. Even if we turn our face from him, 
He's willing to enter into the trenches of our life, and we know that because he's been doing that from the very beginning. That brings us to Isaiah chapter 7, in which God himself says, I'm going to give you a sign. Don't look at this prophet. Don't look at that prophet. Hear me. I'm going to give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you're going to call him God with us. This means that God has not turned his back on us, but he's given us a shadow. That's what all prophecies are, is just a shadow to a substance that we could look forward to. Now, even though we have this shadow of Isaiah 7, 14 as our backdrop, the substance is what we're going to see in Luke chapter 1 and 2 when we look at this virgin where we're going to spend a lot of our time. Now, don't get nervous. Uh, A lot of times when we talk about Mary, this virgin that was prophesied about in Isaiah, sometimes people get nervous about that, and we'll talk about why that is in just a moment. But first, it should be on the screen here. I have a hope for us today. Here's my hope. Three things. The first one is that we can pause and breathe. A fun fact, the name of God, Yahweh, it, what's the right way to say this? By saying the name of Yahweh is almost like an act of breathing. Yahweh. It is like an inhale and an exhale. Even the name of God is like the breath, which makes total sense since he had to breathe into us for us to have life. Can we take a moment to pause today? Doesn't culture want us to just be busy? Doesn't culture just want us to hurry up? Hey, have you seen this new show? Have you heard that new song? Did you text her back? Hey, did you see that sale at the store? You got to make sure to stop by there. Okay, we're going to hit up this event, then this event, then we don't forget we have a party next week. You got to buy gifts for this person and that person. And that's just in the church. I mean, we're not even talking about the full onslaught that comes to us from culture. It just wants to carry us along, keep us busy, 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 hurry, 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 and we're not even going anywhere just to keep us distracted, especially in this season, right? One of my hopes and my prayers, what I've been praying for all of you as I've been preparing for this, is that we can just pause, even if for this short little while that we're here together. It's going to be very tempting to not do that. All the busyness of life is whispering to you, probably even now. But let's pause together. Let's take a moment to breathe just a little bit. The second thing is I want to reflect and meditate on the word of God, which is something we do every single week. But more specifically, on the words and the actions of this virgin girl, this young virgin girl that God chose to use to bring his son into the world. How, if we look at her life, what can we learn about her that's going to broaden and deepen our affections for Jesus? I think there are many things. And the third thing, and this is my primary hope, every time I get up here and open God's word, my hope, but especially for day, is that we would be filled with awe and wonder for the things of God This is my hope for all of us, even myself. 
even if only by a fraction of a percentage, if our hearts can be filled just a bit more with awe and you walk away, that you can hold on to that as a hope as we cling to Jesus. Last January, 2021, obviously the last few years have been crazy, but in 2021, uh, we've, we, we've lost a bunch of celebrities. One of those guys, Larry King. I know many of you know him. If you don't, maybe you're in the younger generations. You're like, Larry who? Or maybe you just live on a rock. Larry King is kind of like the Joe Rogan of our parents and grandparents' generation. Greatest TV show interviewer of all time. I think it was calculated. What I saw was upwards of oh, actually over 60,000 interviews. My goodness, that's a lot of people. And he didn't just talk to this Joe Schmoes. I don't know if you ever saw the show. He had this very stoic, you know, he put his arms up like that and his shoulders would be kind of crunch up, very serious disposition. And he would just talk to people, the who's who, celebrities, politicians. Uh, you know, uh, there was even some psychics on there, some controversial figures, athletes. I mean, this guy talked to arguably the most famous people in the whole world for decades. Generations passed, and Larry King's still out there interviewing people just over and over since the late 60s, early 70s. He didn't stop until about six or seven years ago. I mean, this guy spoke to so many people, so much insight, so much experience, and he would ask those hard-hitting questions. Some people got pretty mad, on, mad at him. I think Jerry Seinfeld was like button heads with them. Things got pretty awkward sometimes, but he didn't care because he wanted to get to the truth. This is just his personality. One time, somebody asked him, Mr. King, if you could interview any one person in all of history, who would you interview? He said, I would interview Jesus Christ. More than that, if I only had one question that I can ask him, it's this, were you indeed virgin born? Then he went on to say the answer to that question would explain history to me. I thought, hey, maybe this guy's a believer. So I looked it up. He's not. 2015, he claimed to be an atheist. So why is this the burning question of his life? Why would you want to talk to Jesus? And why would you want to ask him about the virgin birth? Something about this moment that Isaiah chapter 7 points us to gave Larry King pause. Something about the reality of the virgin birth caused him to be captivated. If that's his burning question, I mean, think about the burning question of our lives. Probably, hey, what's for lunch? That's probably the burning question for most of us, and I don't blame you, to be honest. But Larry King, an atheist, Jesus, were you indeed virgin born? If a man who claims to not even believe in a creator God would be captivated in some even small way by this reality, can we let it captivate us in this way? I think the only way we can do that is by the hopes that I said a second ago, that we pause, we reflect, and that we let ourselves be filled with awe and wonder of God, which is my hope. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we'll get to work. Father, we 
adore you immensely. Thank you for every single heart and soul in this room. As we sit, we open up your word together, and we're asking that you illuminate the text for us. Make clear to us the things that you want us to see. Let us learn from you now. We're sitting at your feet, begging you to give us wisdom and insight only because we want to worship you even more with greater gratitude and greater joy. Father, would you take our sins and continue to forgive us? We need you, just like we did in Genesis in the very first moment you interacted with us to step into the messiness of our lives, and we know they're so messy. Father, forgive us. We need you, and we're grateful for you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Here's my big idea. We have a king who, it should be coming up. There we go. We have a king who came to us through a virgin in a barn. Very simple, very straight to the point. If I can be honest, though, my, my real big idea is the hope. Those three things that I said a second ago, that's what I'm really hoping you walk away from. But what I like about this is it gets the ball rolling. We have a king who came to us through a virgin in a barn, not a queen in a castle. Not anything wrong with queens, not anything wrong with castles. That's just not how our king came to us. He didn't come in a chariot of fire, even though Jesus did say, one day you will see me coming from the clouds in power. We didn't see a giant hand coming from the sky and open up and out pops Jesus saying, hey, I'm here to save you guys. It's me, your savior. He didn't do that either. I don't know if you've seen the new Lord of the Rings show on Amazon, but there's a meteor crashes into the earth. There's a big crater and this guy's naked. They didn't show anything. Don't worry. But he's naked there in this crater like the Terminator. Jesus didn't come to us like that either. He didn't come like the Terminator from a meteor. He came through a virgin in a barn. Why is that? Why a virgin in a barn? He could have done any. We're talking about the creator God who spoke stars into existence. He could have become incarnate or in the flesh any way that he wanted to. Why pick a poor, young, lowly virgin girl in kind of an obscure part of the Middle East? Why? Why pick that? I think the answer as we go through these texts, we're going to learn a lot about why God did that, and hopefully it fills our hearts with wonder. So the first thing we have to do is we have to ask, who is this virgin in a barn? That's a big question. It's going to get this ball rolling for us. Let's get to know her. Here's some fun facts. Her name is Mary. Obviously, most of you probably knew that. Most experts agree she is 12 to 17 years old. She is not a grown woman, at least not in our perspective. 12 to 17, that's so young. She is a, vir a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. Quick detour. Looking at Isaiah chapter 7, the word virgin actually translates to young girl. This is important because there's a lot of people who critique this specific prophecy 
in Isaiah saying, well, what Isaiah did was that he was looking at all the other pagan myths around his culture, and he borrowed from that. Listen, when I'm putting a scripture on these PowerPoint slides, I get nervous adding a comma. That's just me. Isaiah, a a main prophet in scripture, is really going to borrow from pagan and say, well, this is going to be part of God's word. I I don't think these critics realize who we're talking about. Not only that, but if you actually looked into some of these myths that they're claiming that Christianity borrowed from regarding the virgin birth, it's a huge stretch. It's not even close. I mean, sure, in, in all these pagan myths, you have gods going to, to human women and being with them and producing children. But again, a huge, huge stretch. But more than that, the actual translation of the word is not virgin. It's young girl, which Mary was. So she fulfilled the prophecy. But in the original language that Isaiah wrote, it means young girl. Now, that doesn't mean anything regarding the prophecy and what happened with Mary. She was both a young girl and a virgin, as we know that word to be defined as. Both her and her betrothed Joseph were from the lineage of David. That's a whole other prophecy in and of itself. We just came out of talking about the kings, David being one of them, and God made a promise to him, out of your line, I'm going to bring somebody up and establish through that person a kingdom that will never fall. And so we see that happening even here. Two prophecies. She had no fame, no fancy car. Think about all the things we love about the people around us. What, what are things that we envy about other people? Maybe an education, a certain, you know, some things in their title, on their business card. Maybe their cars, maybe we see the cars and think, man, when can I buy a car like that or a home? Or maybe looks or status or popularity. All those things that we look at in others and find envy in our hearts, it exists even in the church. In circles that I like to run with, I mean, just being a pastor, this is something I've even struggled with. Preaching, being well-known, being well-liked. Sometimes we'll see people get served on Facebook, right? We'll see people serving and loving each other, hanging out, having a good time, and we get so jealous. Mary didn't have any of that. There's nobody knocking on the door saying, listen, Mary is where it's at. We got to go hang out with this girl. She's the life of the party, at least as far as we know. No fame. 12 to 17, she's just a kid. Most of us would just push her aside and try to go talk to her parents or something. She's just a snot-nosed kid. What can we learn from Mary? Why would God pick her? Nothing about her in a worldly perspective would draw our eyes to her, just like our eyes wouldn't be drawn to Jesus, according to Scripture. But God moved powerfully in her life. God interrupted her life and did something amazing that we get to see and that we're going to spend time looking at. So like I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26 and then read through 45. If you have your word, it should be on the screen as well. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's the second time he said that. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That sounds familiar. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. That also sounds familiar. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, this is the first time we see Mary talking, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, which means she could not have kids up until this time. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, there's six things that I've observed about Mary when I'm reading through Luke chapter one and two. So I only read a small section, but we're going to bounce around. What can we learn about Mary and my hope in just pausing and looking at her life, an example and the things she said that our love and worship and gratitude for Jesus will be that much more. This is my hope. First thing I see, six things about Mary. First thing is she found favor with God. I put Luke 1, 28, but it actually was said twice, like I pointed out. She did nothing to deserve it. At least the text doesn't indicate that in any way, just like you and I. Mary's just a kid, just a random poor girl in the Middle East, and God had favor on her life. He does the same thing for you and I. Who are we that we would earn the favor of God? But God has given us favor nonetheless. It's funny because scripture doesn't talk about what else is happening in Mary's life. And here's why. Because the circumstances of her life, which was probably hard, she didn't have no AC or running water like we do. Her life is probably pretty hard, and that's probably a normal thing for someone living in her bubble of, you know, her sphere. The word doesn't give any indication of what's happening in her life, but God still calls her favored. Do you see yourself as a favored one of God? Or are your eyes too much on the circumstances of your life saying, well, if I was, then why is this happening to me? Why did that happen? Why am I being rejected here? Why am I not being blessed in this? If God really favors me, why not this? Why not that? Mary, just a person like us, living a hard life, just like us, was considered and called a favored one twice. The next thing is she was blessed. Verse 42, 
So I did not read this part, but she goes to her relative Elizabeth, who's a much older lady, and Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, and the baby inside of her who would grow up and become John the baptizer and herald the coming of Jesus, that baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb, and her mother's intuition, she knew that baby wasn't just in her womb squirming around, kicking, acting crazy, but that that leap was one of great joy, that the baby inside her recognized the voice of his Lord's mother. And he left. So Elizabeth walks up to her and says, Mary, blessed are you among women. Man, wouldn't it be great if someone just came up to you and said, hey, uh, Anthony, blessed, blessed are you among men. You'd be like, hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's an encouragement right there. Elizabeth's getting down. She went right to Mary, who's much younger. It's important to recognize that. Blessed are you among women. She called her blessed. Why is this important? If you can, let's go to Deuteronomy 22. We're going to go way back here. Woo. Deuteronomy 22. You could just listen if you want, but if you're going to go there, it's uh, verse 22 of chapter 22. Nice and easy. I'm going to read to uh, 24. Here we go. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh. Let's keep going. Verse 23. If there is a betrothed virgin, that sounds really familiar, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit conceived the baby within Mary, but do you think her neighbors knew that? What about her parents? What about Joseph's parents? Or whoever was around, whoever was around them, they lived in a community. They weren't hermits living on their own. And there's no indication in the text that they were liars. So there's a chance they weren't concealing it. People started to see Mary's got a little bump going on. What is that all about? Joseph, something, did things already happen? What's going on? No, actually an angel came and, you know, walks through it. Do you think they were like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Probably not. You know why I think that? Because there's nowhere in the text where the whole community comes around and says, the Lord is here, the Messiah is coming. Don't you think that would have been in there and that would have happened? Had they told people what they saw, what they knew, knew to be true, and people believed them? Chances are they're just regular people. How would you react? Someone you know and care about gets pregnant. She's engaged to somebody, and you say, hey, you know, is everything good? Yeah, it's actually, it's not my baby. Oh, okay, are you, is everything okay? Yeah, it's actually God's. I mean, it's kind of a thing. An angel came, and you probably think, I need to call CPS or somebody ASAP. These are just people. They thought that whatever, you know, appropriate thoughts they would have had in that time, they thought those thoughts about Mary specifically. This text likely came to mind. These ancient Jewish people knew the word, especially the first five books of Scripture. They knew that really well. 
She's a betrothed virgin, or at least claims to be, and she's pregnant and not by Joseph. Are we supposed to be taking her to the city gate? Because that's what the word says. That's not how Mary is described. Elizabeth calls her blessed, and she's called twice by an angel from God, favored one. The third thing I see about Mary, she believed and obeyed God. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. I love this one. The angel just comes. Hey, uh, greetings, Mary. Who says greetings, by the way, right? Hi, uh, I'm an angel, so you got to process that real quick. Um, You're going to conceive, so you're going to get pregnant. The baby, it's going to be a boy, spoiler alert. And sorry if you wanted to do a big reveal, it's a boy. Um, Besides that, the boy's also going to be God. So lots to process, Mary. Good to meet you. Congrats on the baby boy. Mary's response is, where do I sign? Hey, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be. If you're coming from God, you're his messenger. Let it be as you say. That was Mary's attitude. It's very childlike, right? Which makes sense because she is a child. But I love that. There's no hesitation. Even Zechariah, who's the father of John the baptizer, even he started getting, you know, he's a you know, religious guy has got some influence, you know, he's working in the temple. Even he starts to question God. Wait a second. How about this? And what about he starts? And then he had to be silenced because he was questioning and doubting. Didn't happen with Mary. She said, yeah, let's get it done. Let's go. I love that. Okay. Here's a good one. She's normal. Luke 1 34. Think about this. An angel comes to you, tells you that you're going to conceive Have a baby boy, and that boy is going to be the son of the most high God. How would you respond? I think I would be in shock. Well, I mean, obviously I can't conceive, so I'd really be in shock. (laughs) But if that happened to any of us, we'd be like, you know, stumbling over our words, or maybe we'd just rapid fire. Well, what about this? You know, we'd be like Zechariah, just asking a bunch of questions, doubting it, really confused. Mary, being a young teenage girl, think about it. Okay, you're a teenager, and somebody says you're going to get pregnant. Your mind will probably go to what? This is where uh, Mary's mind went. Let me, I'll, it'll make sense in a second if you already didn't realize what I'm saying. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, first time she ever talks, just drops these bombs on her, and this is her response. How will this be since I'm a virgin? All she heard in all of that spiel that the angel gave is, you're going to have a, a baby inside you. She's like, well, I'm betrothed. I'm a virgin. I know how people get pregnant, so how, did you leave a part out here? Probably had the skeptical eyes, like, what are you telling me, Gabriel? Like, how is this baby going to, how is this happening? This is where her mind went, which makes total sense. This is what a normal teenage girl would would ask, right? You're saying I'm going to get pregnant. I know how people get pregnant. Can you walk me through some maybe steps A and B? You're, you're on step C already, dude. Let's talk about steps A and B. She asked, a nor- this is just what a normal person would ask. How is this actually going to work, like practically? Can we just talk sense right now, Gabriel? She asked this question, which indicates to me that she is just a normal person. Some people might freak out. Some people would ask a bunch of questions, doubting, confused. She asked what I think a teenage girl, or at least many girls or boys might ask is how is this going to happen exactly? Now, this is important to point out because 
I want to talk about two things. Our circles here, which, you know, our circles is reformed more specifically, but broadly is mainstream evangelicalism. That's kind of the circles that redemption is in. And then my growing up, I wasn't really big into the Catholic church, but a lot of my family were Catholics or we claimed to be. So I claimed to be a Catholic. So we have these two big spheres religiously uh, around us, at least, you know, as far as in our context. And Catholics venerate Mary. We know this, right? They'll set up these kind of monuments or pictures or photos of her. I've seen people on their knees to these, you know, these, these set, the setup, praying to Mary, asking her to deliver our prayers or their prayers to Jesus. It's kind of like, well, she's the, the mother of Jesus, so, you know, give me a good word, Mary, kind of thing. That's the hope. Not quite at the level of being deified to the Most High God, but definitely a couple rungs up the ladder from where we're at. Almost like Catholics tend to see Mary as a mediator between us and God. I'm confident of this. If Mary was in the flesh with us now, and she saw somebody bowing on their knees to a picture, and they said, yeah, that picture, even though it probably doesn't look anything like her, that picture is supposed to be you, and I'm just praying to you so that you can send your prayers to Jesus because, you know, you're, you're his mother or you were his mother. I'm confident she would go and just kick that thing down, rip up the pictures. She would say, no, I carry, G Jesus came so that he can be the mediator between you, us, us, and God. This is Jesus's job, not mine. Don't be confused by this. And I think she would be very saddened by the idolatry of herself, her name being taken and used in this way. And so coming to our circles, looking at the Reformed or mainstream evangelical groupings like we're in, we don't want to be guilty of idolizing Mary. So we see what the Catholic Church has done and say, okay, well, let's do this. Let's, put, let's take Mary off the pedestal but then what we do is we continue to diminish and diminish and diminish and diminish and make her smaller and smaller to the point where she's basically a quick comma on the way to what we would call more important things. And don't hear me wrong. It's all about Jesus for sure. But we don't do that with other heroes of the, of the word, right? David, Solomon, guys we just talked about, spent a whole series talking about. We don't do that with them. So we have to find kind of a middle ground. Mary is normal. She's just a person like us. She shouldn't be idolized, venerated, worshipped, or prayed to. But she shouldn't also be reduced to the shadows and just glossed over as we get to other things. The fifth thing, and this is my favorite, she treasured God in her heart, both in chapter 2, verse 19, and in verse 51. It describes her in this way. Mary she had these experiences with God. She saw what God was doing in her life and the lives of other people. And it pointed out twice that she pondered and treasured these things up in her heart. I don't know about you, but I don't often hear this as in describing Mary. Why do, okay, let's, let's do this. When I say Samson, how do you, what do you associate with Samson? Hair and strength, yeah. Hairy strength, is that what you said? Yep. What about, what about Abraham? 
Faith, yeah. The father of faith. How, what's that song? He's the father, the father of Abraham. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Is that it? No? What about David? What are, I mean, we, there's a lot we can associate with David. We just came out of a sermon series about him, but what do you associate with David? What's, if you were to sum it, sum it up. Man after God's own heart. You know how many times it says that in scripture about him? Twice. How many times does it say about Mary treasuring up God and the things of God in her heart? Twice. Let's remember Mary in this way. No idolizing, no worshiping, no praying. But Mary, the woman who treasured God in her heart. I want to give encouragement to both the men and the women. First with the women. This is my personal experience, which is greatly limited. But I've seen this characteristic to treasure the things of God, of God in their hearts so well. Women, you do this, again, just speaking generally, you do this so well. And I'm so envious of that characteristic. Just things happen. You see how God operates through his people. You see God's work in your own life, and you treasure those things in your heart. There's a flip side. The flesh, which we always have to wrestle with and the sin in our lives, can take this beautiful characteristic that I see in so many of the women, even in this room, and that we see in Mary. And when it's twisted by sin, I see women will hold on to and store up not the treasures of God, but sadness or bitterness or depression It's like when these things in your life hurt you and harm you and you have these experiences of darkness, they sink so deep in your heart. And why? Because God has just designed women in such a beautiful way to treasure up those things in their hearts a little bit better than the men. Well, much better than the men. But it also works with the things of darkness, right? Especially sadness. I'm seeing that more and more. My prayer for you is that God would unearth those things that have been stored up in the place of his treasures and that he would fill your heart with treasures and like Mary, you would store them up. For the men, even sensitive men, I'm I'm kind of a artsy, poetic kind of guy. I like to write poetry and just look out the window with, you know, a somber look in my eye. That's my style. Some of you guys might relate. But even me, being a sensitive guy, I mean, you know, I like the idea of like, lifting up a sword and be like, Jesus, I'm going to take the lines for you and I'm going to, you know, breach the wall for Jesus. Ah, Sparta. Wait, that's not right. Not Sparta. I love that. I do love that. And I think a lot of guys, generally, guys are more action oriented. We like getting things done for Jesus. We feel really guilty or, or even useless if we're not doing for God. So we're not spending a lot of time kind of writing in our journals or diaries talking about treasures of God. It's just not our leaning generally. So for the men, imagine how your loved ones, imagine how the people even in this room, your your spouses, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, how would they be served if they saw you more often treasuring the things of God, which is just not something we do easily or very well. We're more, I want to do something for God. 
All right, so I have one more thing about Mary, but first I want to put that aside and talk about what we see in God, and then we'll wrap it up. So the first thing is that we see that God is rich, endlessly rich. God, God can give away everything of himself for a billion years and then stop and say, okay, a billion years has passed. I've done nothing except give all of my riches away. Turns around, let me see how much I have left. He would have exactly the same amount as the day he started. God is rich in every way imaginable, full of grace and mercy and wisdom, and he loves giving it away, especially to the least of these, which we see in Mary's life. The second thing is that God is love. Who would Jesus be around as he grew up if he was born through Mary? Think about that. He would be around people who society would probably cast out for the most part. Mary's a poor girl, and Joseph is just this blue-collar guy. They're poor. He's going to grow up around poor people. I can't think of a very good reason why God would do that except the fact that he just loves people, especially the least of these. The third thing is that God is patient. He is both patient with us through our sins and our shortcomings, but also patient in time. I mean, just from the Isaiah 7 prophecy, which is a shadow, to Mary, the substance of that prophecy was many hundreds and hundreds of years that God was unfolding this reality. God is patient. The fourth thing is God is mysterious. Proverbs 25 says that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing or conceal a matter. God loves to give us truth that is still veiled. Think about Jesus' parables as he taught. He would teach in such a way that only those who had ears to hear would understand what he was trying to say. What he meant by that is the ears of people that God has opened up to hear what I have to say. Even Isaiah 7 Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Very simple statement. But if you're around Isaiah at the time, it makes zero sense. God loves to reveal something that still has a certain degree of concealment. Our job is to pray and seek out these things and uncover it. The last thing that I see about God is that he is coming back. We know that because on a day, just like today, maybe a rainy, regular Sunday, he was born to a virgin girl in this shabby manger of a place surrounded by dirt and mud, probably some animals around it, probably smelled. This is his surroundings that he came to the earth, and it was just a regular day. It's not like this mass, the whole world just said, this is a holiday for the whole world. Let's celebrate the birth of Jesus. It was just a regular old day just like today. When Gabriel came to Mary, interrupting her life with the news that she was going to bear the Son of God in her womb, probably just a regular Tuesday, probably just living her life. This is the nature of how God works. He comes to us on just regular mornings and afternoons as we're going about our normal, everyday living. And so we know if he came the first time, what we call the first advent, if we know that's true, then we know that he's going to come again, what we call the second advent, where he's going to put death in its grave and he's going to restore all of us and all of creation 
back to total what the Bible calls shalom, peace, completeness. God is coming. We know that because he already came once. And if he came once, then we can trust him. All right. Mary waited for Jesus to come, just like Israel had waited for many, many years. My last hope is that we would be filled with wonder. The question is, how do we do that? How do we be filled with wonder and awe of God? Mary being the example. And the last point is that she sang a song of praise as she waited on the Lord to come. And she gave one of the most beautiful songs. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Scripture calls it the Magnificat. This is a song she sang after Elizabeth, her relative, called her blessed among women. As she waited, as she stood there anticipating the coming of the Son of God, her Messiah, even though she's carrying him, what did she do in her normal everyday life? She sung a song of praise. She declared the goodness of God and the works of his hands in her life. This is what we do to fill our hearts with wonder. It's just a regular Sunday today. Just a regular day. I'm sure we all have plans after this. But are we filling our hearts with wonder? How do we do that? Mary, show us. We're going to sing songs of praise. In just a few moments, we will lift up our voices, and that's my encouragement. Don't be shy. Sing. Sing so your heart is filled with wonder for the things of God and then treasure those things deeply in your life. Here's what I want to do just to end our time is I want to read Mary's song over all of you. I want you to not be distracted by this. So what I'm going to ask you to do right now is if you can close your eyes, do your best not to let your mind wander and just hear the blessing of her praise over you so that your heart is filled and you can do the same and declare praise to God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Mary, this girl that you just interrupted her life to do an amazing work the same way you do with us. Let us not overlook that and be distracted by the regularness of our lives, the normal even boring times that we experience. God, let us not be so entrenched in the mundane things that our hearts forget about you. Help us, God. 
We need you to show us that you favor us and bless us and call us your own. Help us to obey you, to treasure you, just like Mary. But more than, more than that, let us make a habit of lifting the voice that you gave us to sing your praises. We need you now. Enable us, fill us, equip us, guide us. We seek your face, God. Let every person in this room be blessed by you. Be in awe of you. Be convicted by you because you are the most high God and you love us and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.